oftentimes when we hear that word hope, we hear people say things like, I hope the Vikings make the playoffs this year. Although I'm not hearing that as much lately for some reason. I don't know. Hope is dimming maybe. Uh, And I'm not trying to rub this in. um, But the Minnesota Vikings have never won a Super Bowl. They have been there four times, so I've heard. Does anybody remember those? Um, I, okay, yeah, okay. So, some of the, the gray hairs remember those times. Okay. Um, uh, ooh, okay. It started to look good this year for the Vikings, didn't it? Five and oh. I mean, there were people that were calling them one of the best teams in the NFL. And then, and again, I'm not trying to rub this in. I have a lesson to teach from this. But then, over the next seven games, the Vikings only won one of them. And for Vikings fans, there always seems to be this sense of, even if it starts out well, something's going to happen. Some kicker's going to miss a field goal, like that would ever happen, right, um, in Vikings history. Uh, so should a Vikings fan even have hope? Well, okay, now let's think about something more positive, and we'll, we'll just shift geographically a little bit to the east. The Chicago Cubs, they have had it way worse than the Vikings. 108 years in between their World Series. So 1908, they won a World Series. And then think of all the people that were born in Chicago from 1909 until who knows when and had to wait all those years. And now finally, in the year 2016, they got their World Series. So that was worse than the Vikings had it. So maybe there is hope for the Vikings, right? Maybe. I don't know. Well, let's use another example. Anybody going through finals soon? Uh, Aaron, you're at NDSU. Is it finals week for you? Okay. Anybody else? Uh, High school students going through finals? Uh, You might say, I hope I get an A on that test. Well, let me say it this way. All the hoping in the world isn't going to do you any good if you haven't studied this stuff, right? Because here's the deal with hope. Our hope is only as good as the object in which we place our hope. And, and for the world, you know, if you think about a sports team, what are the chances that your sports team is going to win the next championship? Even if you start from scratch, I mean, there's, there's 30 other teams that are trying to win that thing. How good is that hope? How good is your hope in getting an A? Again, probably only as good as the studying that you have done. But what about Christian hope? Is there something different in our hope? Do we have any right to think that we can have a hope that won't disappoint us, a hope that will strengthen us in whatever we go through. One of the attacks against Christianity is that the the detractors, those who would attack our faith, would say, oh, you Christians, all you're hoping for is pie in the sky. You've just made up something about eternal rewards, and you're really just pretending. And to them, they would say that that we don't have anything more than what they have, except they would maybe just say that we have a fairy tale. Is that what we have? Well, as a Christian, I would say that ever since Adam and Eve first sinned in the Garden of Eden, every single human being on this planet has known that something is not right. And we've all wanted it to get better. And sometimes it does, and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes the disease does end in death. Sometimes car accidents do happen. Sometimes the Vikings lose the Super Bowl. And uh, it doesn't always end the way that we want it to. But 
I think there's something different with God. And I'll give away the ending now. I do believe that we can have hope in God, a different kind of hope, a hope that actually sticks with us and strengthens us. I believe in a God who always keeps his promises. And I believe that we can keep trusting him. And here's how it works. As we trust in him, our hope is strengthened. And we'll talk about that more. Hope. Even though things may not always go that we want them to, the way that we want them to, we can have hope in the God of hope. And our psalm today, Psalm 33, reminds us of who God is, and it ends with hope. We're going to look at this psalm today. It's 22 verses long. I'm going to fly through the, verse, the first 15 verses, and then we're going to camp out a little bit in the last seven verses. And as we're camping out in those last seven verses, I kind of want to use them as a springboard to jump into some other parts of the Bible to remind us of who the God of hope is. Okay? Um, When we trust that God keeps his promises, we will see that we have great reason for hope. I was reading a commentary by a, a theologian named Willem van Gemmeren. He was one of my professors at Trinity Seminary. He said that Psalm 33 is a psalm of praise for past and present evidences of God's love. Or you could just say it like this. God has always been faithful and he always will be. And when we trust in that God, it produces hope in us. Okay, so let's quickly walk through the first 15 verses starting in Psalm 33, verses 1 through 3. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-stringed lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. So this psalm begins like many psalms do, reminding us to praise God because he is worthy. And it's not just that we should praise him. One of the things it says specifically in this part of the psalm is that we should sing to him. God is worthy of praise, and, and we should sing those praises. God likes it when you sing to him. even likes it when I sing to him with my voice. So, likes it when you sing to him as well. Then verses 4 through 5. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. I hope you know this about God that he is faithful and he is loving. In fact, I want to show you a verse from Psalm 145, 13. It's the last part of that verse. This one might be one that you guys want to remember. It says, The Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving toward all he has made. So, did God make you? Yes. He loves you then. Has God given you any promises? His word is full of them and he will be faithful to all of them. I want you to know that that's who God is and it can strengthen our hope. Then verses 6 through 11. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of his heart through all generations. So these verses remind us that God is the God who spoke the universe into existence. When God speaks, big things happen. And when God speaks, no one can stop him. So think about this. If God speaks on your behalf, you 
will be blessed. And that, that blessing is exactly where we go in our next verses, 12 through 14. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all who considers everything they do. So God watches over his people. Now sometimes we might forget that. When things go difficult for us, we may forget that God watches over or we may forget that he cares about us. And it, it, it is a little confusing perhaps because Sometimes difficult times do come, but we just need to remember that God is still watching over us, that God has a reason for letting those difficult times come. And in this life, as we wait for God to bring us into glory, we may go through difficult times. We have an enemy who attacks. Sometimes our outlook can go into a very negative place. Will we trust in God when those times come? Will we have hope? Now, hope is where this psalm goes. And now I want to read verses 16 through 22, the last part of this psalm, and we're going to camp out on these for a little while. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love, to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait and hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Now, in these verses, in the translation that I just read from, we see the word hope four times. And I want to walk you through these verses and, and those four occurrences of the word hope. The first one comes in verses 16 and 17. Um, it's actually a negative one here. And uh, Excuse me, what am I... Let's see. We'll back up here. There we go. Uh, verses 16 and 17. The reason that a king needs an army, or that a warrior needs strength, or that a war horse is called upon, is because difficult times come. The Old Testament tells of a lot of... Anybody ever read the Old Testament and read a battle in there? Okay, you don't have to look far before you see an Old Testament battle. And have you ever noticed that it's different in the New Testament? You see all these battles in the Old Testament and, and very few in the New Testament. And the way that I understand that is that the Old Testament battles can stand symbolically for the battle that we face every day, the spiritual battle. Ephesians 6 reminds us that, that we are in, in the midst of spiritual attack. And, and I believe that spiritual attack is not rare. There, there are some Christians who would maybe say that they've only been under a spiritual attack maybe once or twice in their life. I think it's I think it's like an everyday occurrence that our enemy tries to, to trip us up. So I think that all those battles that we see in the Old Testament remind us of our enemy who attacks us now. Well, it, when those attacks come on us, who will we trust in? In verses 16 and 17, the temptation would be to trust in the king's army or the warrior's strength or the war horse. But the word for hope in verse 17 is a vain hope, or literally, it's a false hope. Here's how I'd say it. False hope is hope in the stuff that we can see. False hope is to see an attack coming your way and to trust in your own resources to get you through it. Now, don't get me wrong. Sometimes in our own resources, we could win a little part of that battle. 
It might go well for us sometimes, trusting in our own resources. The Vikings might even win a Super Bowl sometime. So there, those things might happen. But this kind of hope can very easily disappoint us. There are lots of other things that we could trust in besides God. We could trust in our money or our intellect. But, but think about those two things. Think how quickly your money or your intellect could be taken away from you. And then what are you going to trust in? Or uh, think about trusting in America. Now, we live in a place, praise the Lord, where there have not been very many wars fought on our soil. We have lived in amazing peace. Compared to the rest of the world and the rest of history, we live in an amazingly peaceful place. And it might be really easy for us to trust in the size of our national defense. And that's where we have our hope. But what if you didn't live here? What if you lived in some other country that was ravaged by war? Would you still have hope in God? Or what if you lived in a place where you weren't free to worship, that if you found a place to worship, that you would have to live with the constant threat of the police banging down the door and taking you off to jail? Would you still have hope in the Lord even there? I would hope so. I would hope so. It's interesting to think again how easy we have it here. It's interesting how we can so easily trust in the things of this world. Psalm 27 says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Our hope and our trust should be in the Lord. Let's move on now to verses 18 and 19. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear Him, on those whose hope is in His unfailing love, to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. The word for hope here means wait. In fact, it's the same for the next two words as well. So there's this waiting that's involved in hope, and the waiting implies that something might not be quite right. The reason we wait for something is because we want something else to come, something that we don't have yet. And the rub is, when things are difficult, we want them fixed when? Now. Or yesterday, yeah. <laughs> But in these verses, we're reminded that God will watch over those who hope in His unfailing love, and He will keep them alive in death, and in, or keep them from death, and keep them alive in famine. So why? Why should we trust God like that? Things aren't working right now. The non-Christian would say, "You're dreaming. It's just pie in the sky. There's nothing there." Why should we have hope in God? Well, what I want to do now is I want to take a, a side trip. I want to walk through some stories from the Old Testament that show you how God has promised and fulfilled. Okay? And, and the reason that I want to do this is because I think that our hope will be strengthened as we reflect on how God has acted in human history. And, and by the way, it's not just in the Bible that we have seen God act. We could, we could pass a microphone around and, and hear story upon story of how God has acted in your life. And those things can build hope in us as well. But what I want to do at this time now is I want to walk through five stories from the Old Testament that show us how God has fulfilled his promises. So the first one is the Exodus. Did you know, uh, Pastor Josh mentioned this in Sunday school, that hundreds of years before the Exodus, God told his people that he would get them out of slavery. Even before they went into slavery, God told them that they would first go into slavery and then be set free. Now, when Israel was in slavery in Egypt, it was an awful time. They were harshly mistreated, and there was that horrible time when their, their baby boys 
were killed. But in Exodus 2, when the Israelites cried out to God, God heard them and rescued them with amazing miracles. And again, I'd just like to remind you that that's what God said he would do hundreds of years before. All the way back in Genesis 15, verses 13 and 14, the Lord said, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years, but I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. That was given over 400 years before it happened, and it reads like a newspaper account of how it actually played out in history. Now, don't misunderstand. Think about the the 400 years of slavery. Think about all the people there that lived and died in slavery. On the one hand, you could ask, well, what good did that promise do for those people who lived and died their whole lives in slavery? But I would just like us to step back and take a bigger look than that. And, and to know that, that we have promises in God. And just because we may not see some of those promises in our lifetime here on earth doesn't mean that they won't come. And that we're included in a bigger picture in all the promises of God. So those people who were living in, in Egypt, they had every reason for hope because God had promised that he would get them out. Then let's move on to a, a second phase. And it's very similar to the first one, but this one is the promised land. In the same passage in Genesis 15 where God promised to deliver his people from slavery, he also told them that he would bring them into the promised land. And again, this was hundreds of years before it happened. Here's how the promise was given to Abraham in Genesis 12:7: To your offspring, I will give this land. It's interesting how that, that keeps coming up in the story. I will give you this land. The spies were told, go and spy out the land that I will give you. But even then, the people doubted. And that's the way it goes for us sometimes with hope, is that God has given us his certain promises and we doubt them. But what did God do with this promise of the, the promised land? Well, much like with the Exodus, uh, there, were, there was a long time of waiting, there were many tears that were shed, but God did it. He brought his people into the promised land just like he said he would. Third story, return from exile. So we're, we're fast-forwarding the story quite a few hundred years here. After living in the Promised Land for many years, the Israelites started to turn away and worship other gods. God warned them not to do it. He sent prophet after prophet to tell them not to worship idols, but the Israelites persisted in their idolatry. And God finally warned them, and actually many times he warned them, that they would be kicked out of the land, that they would be exiled if they kept on worshiping idols. But they kept on doing it, and God made good on his promise to punish them. So the exile came as punishment. And from the outside, it might have looked like this little Israel experiment was over. This kind of thing happens all the time in history. A bigger nation attacks a smaller nation and carries it off into exile, and you never hear from that nation again. Think about, you're reading through the Old Testament, you read about all these other smaller nations. Where are they now? Most of them are gone. And and did you know that in the Old Testament, Israel usually wasn't a powerhouse? Usually in Israel's history, they were a smaller nation nestled in between larger nations. So in the exile, the much larger powerhouse of Babylon came in, took the people of Israel away. Um, And and there was a remnant that was left, but even the remnant went away, and they were punished as well. It might have seemed like Israel was done, except for one thing God made a promise he even put a date on it 
Jeremiah 29.10 This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promises to bring you back to this place. You might know the next verse by memory. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Who were those words given to? Were those words given to super spiritual people who were just right on track with God? No. Those were given to people who were so egregiously offending God that God sent them into exile as punishment. Yes, God promised that he would be good to his people and bring him back. And read your Bible, what happened? God did it. God brought his people back. Exactly when? So this is the second promise that we have that has a time stamp on it. And God did it just the way he said he would. Let's move on to another one. The Messiah. Since it's almost Christmas time, it's good for us to think about the, the places in the Old Testament where God promised to send the Messiah, the king who would rule his people forever. Remember I said Israel was usually a smaller nation. So the people of Israel oftentimes would hope that they would have a good king who would bring peace. But what kind of kings did the people of Israel and Judah usually get? Bad. In fact, I, um, 39 kings of Israel and Judah, and by one account, only 8 of them were faithful. And a lot of the times it didn't lead to peace. It led to the opposite of that. But God promised to send a different kind of king. You know this one in Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. It was just two chapters before that in Isaiah 7 where God promised to send Emmanuel, God with us. So God told his people that he would send a king and when that king came there would be peace and justice. Can you imagine a nation with perfect peace and justice? Well, when God sent his son Jesus Christ in fulfillment of these promises, he brought the kingdom of God. Now yes, it, it, it only has come in part now and we wait for the final fulfillment of the kingdom of God later, but for those of us who have received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, we become citizens of the kingdom of heaven and we are promised that we will live in a place with perfect peace and justice. God has already sent the Messiah as proof of it and the Messiah will come again and bring about the final fulfillment of it. Yes, we may have to endure some things in this life while we wait, but we have been promised eternal life. Then one more Old Testament story here. Resurrection. Could you, go, could you find the resurrection in the Old Testament? A little, little quiz for you. You don't have to say it out loud, but where would you go in the Old Testament to show the, the promise of resurrection? Well, there's uh, the New Testament in, in two different places quotes Psalm 16. And I want to show you a verse from Psalm 16 on the resurrection. By the way, when it's quoted in the New Testament, it's quoted about Jesus. It says, Because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. Now, Jesus died. He was put to death so that our sins could be forgiven. He paid the penalty that we could never pay off. But he didn't stay dead. 
that verse came true. Even though he went to the grave, he was not abandoned to the grave. And even though he went to the grave, he wasn't there long enough to decay because he rose again from the dead. And amazingly, this promise of resurrection isn't just for Jesus. It's for all of us who have put our faith in him. When we receive Jesus Christ, we die to our old self and we take on new life. So it, we, we follow the pattern of Jesus. Jesus died once, but he rose again and lives forever. We are to die to ourselves, and when we do that, receiving Jesus Christ, we receive eternal life, so that even though our bodies may die, our soul will live forever with God. Here's how it's said in Romans 6.8. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. And that will be eternal life. Okay. We just walked through five amazing promises from God that he promised and fulfilled. And again, we could tell other stories from our lives of how we have seen God do wonderful things for us. Our hope in God should be strengthened because our God is a faithful God who always makes good on his promises. And there's promises that are still to come. I, I'm not going to spend much time on these, but two New Testament promises that we have. One, Jesus is coming again. And two, God's people will get to live with him forever. Those promises are better than gold. I'd say you could take him to the bank, but it's better than taking it to the bank. God will take us to be with him forever. We also have the promise of God with us. So it's not just pie in the sky. It's not just we wait until heaven to get rewards. It's we have God with us right now. That's the point of Emmanuel. All of this should strengthen our hope. Let's finish Psalm 33, though. We left off at verse 20. Let's, let's read verse 20 and 21. We wait in hope for the Lord. Does, you see how it makes sense now? We wait in hope for the Lord. Of course, because God will fulfill his promises. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. Now again, the word hope here implies waiting. And waiting takes faith, and often it can be difficult. Circumstances can be difficult. We will be tempted not to trust God. But our hope can grow when we trust in God. And these verses remind us of one other really important thing that we should do while we wait. And uh, Brian beat me to the punch on this one. Because we have hope in God, what should we do, Brian? It, it says here, we should rejoice. In him our hearts rejoice. And I, I feel like, you know, I kind of feel like a broken record when I come up here and I say the same thing week after week after week, and especially in this psalm series that we're doing. But there is really something to this. That something happens in our hearts when we rejoice. Now, of course, God receives glory, so that, that's a good thing. But something happens in our hearts. Our hearts are strengthened when we set our eyes on God and when we rejoice in Him. And one of the things that happens is that our, our, our hope is renewed and strengthened. Psalm 71:14 says, But as for me, I will always have hope. I will praise you more and more. Do you see the connection there between hope and praise? I think they feed off of each other. The more we praise God, the more hope we have, and the more hope we have, the more it's going to want, uh, the more we're going to want to praise God. It should be a never-ending cycle in us, in which we hope, we trust, and we rejoice in the Lord. 
And it's on that note that, that Psalm 33 ends. The last verse is a prayer. May your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Now this is a prayer with certain results. This is not like hoping that the Vikings win the Super Bowl. God's unfailing love will rest on us as we trust in him. Now, I learned a really important lesson on prayer about 10 years ago. I used to think it was strange to pray for things that God had already told us would happen. I, I kind of figured God has those things covered, so I should pray for other things. But then I read in the promises that God gave to King David. So you're looking at uh, 2 Samuel 7 or uh, 1 Chronicles 17. It's the same story. It's the, the promise of the Messiah that we looked at earlier. God told David that he would always have one of his descendants to reign on the throne. And the first thing that David did when he heard that promise from God was, was to praise God, and we would expect that. That makes perfect sense. God gave a promise. David prayed. But you know what David did next? He prayed to God that God would do what God told David he would do. And it, and it seems kind of strange. God says, I'll put one of your descendants on the throne, and David prays, God, please put one of my descendants on the throne. Why do you think David did that? I, I think the act of praying strengthened David's hope. I think it was part of the way that David rejoiced in the Lord, but I also think it was a way to remember that promise that God gave. So think about this now in regard to the last verse of Psalm 33. May your unfailing lo love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Do you know what? God's love will rest on you as you put your hope in him. And do you know what you should do about it? You should pray for it. You can pray that God's hope and his love will rest, that God's love will rest in you as you hope in him. We should ask God to do that. So hope means that we can trust in God to take care of us now and always. He has always been faithful. He always will be. Hope doesn't mean that all of our discomfort will go away. Hope means that we can trust and praise God regardless of what we're going through because we know that there are wonderful promises that will be fulfilled. Here's my conclusion. Our hope grows as we continue to trust in God and praise Him. And remember, hope includes waiting. We, we wait for what we don't have yet. Vikings don't have a Super Bowl yet. We're still waiting for that. But even more so, we're waiting in hope that God will show his goodness to us. So a couple of things that we should do there. First one is that we should trust in God. Psalm 119.114 has a great lesson for us as we consider waiting and trusting in hope. It says, You are my refuge and my shield. I have put my hope in your word. You see how this works? We grow in hope as we trust in God's word. So if you're sensing a lack of hope in your life, if you're sensing any despondency or despair, go to God's word, read his promises, and know that God will fulfill them. He has always fulfilled his promises, and he always will. And if, as we read God's word, we'll see his goodness to us. We'll see the things that he wants to pour into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, a hope that will not disappoint us. So may we be people who keep on seeking God and his word and trusting that he will bring about what he has said he will bring about. We don't always know what life will bring us. In fact, I was thinking about this. Uh, some of you, I wonder if any of you right now, you don't have to raise your hand, I wonder if any of you are in a time in life right now where you're waiting to hear from the Lord, where maybe you've got a big decision in life and you're just waiting, God, what should I do? 
Um, I remember one of those times in my life, I was in college, I think probably every college student goes through a time like this, I was considering path A or path B, and they were both good paths, and I was just waiting for God. I was, I was begging God, God, just show me, I'll serve you in either path, just show me which one it was, and for about four months, I got nothing as an answer from God. And I figured, it only took me four months, I figured I must be doing this the wrong way. So I said, I'm going to change. I'm gonna, God, I'm going to stop asking you that question. I'm still really curious to know the answer, but I'm going to stop asking you the question because I felt like my heart just needed to hope in the Lord. I felt like I needed to, to learn more about who He is and who He wanted me to be. And as I rejoiced in the Lord in that way, it, it still took about another four or five months, but my heart was content as I waited. I think this world gets so discontent when we wait. But in Christ we have hope and we can, we can have joy and peace as we wait. Hopefully you've seen God be faithful many times and you will see it more and more as you trust in Him and as you keep seeking Him in His Word. He will build that hope in you. So we should trust in God that will build our hope. And then also we should praise God. This will build our hope. Psalm 33 reminds us to praise God, to sing to Him, and to rejoice to Him. We have many reasons that we can sing and praise Him. He's promised eternal life to all of us who know Jesus. Like it says in verse 5, the earth is full of God's unfailing love. Those who praise God will be much more likely to see those good things. Do you know that? That's one of the reasons why I keep encouraging you to praise God. Because as you praise God, you'll be much more likely to see the good things that he's bringing into your life. Worshiping God has a way of putting everything else in proper perspective. That's why we do this psalm series every year. We're, we're wrapping it up today, but I, I hope it's been good for your soul to be reminded to worship God. And sometimes we do have to wait, and that can be uncomfortable. But there was a song a few years back. Anybody remember this song? It was in the movie Fireproof. It's a good movie, by the way. Maybe some of you want to watch that one again. But the, the song in there said, I will worship while I'm waiting. Uh, in the movie, the, the main character uh, was, was waiting for his marriage to be restored. Um, but the song is just so good. I will worship while I'm waiting. The waiting, again, implies some difficulty. Whether it's a strained marriage or whatever else the difficulty might be in your life, waiting is difficult. We don't like sitting in a waiting room, do we? <laughs> Even if it's ten minutes at the doctor's office, like, man, this is forever. We don't like waiting. And I think spiritually the same thing might be true. That, that we know there are good promises for us and sometimes we want them to be fulfilled right now. Will you be somebody who worships while you wait? God is always of worship, always worthy of worship. Do you worship God even in hard times? Have you learned that life lesson? I've, I've learned that it makes the hard times much more bearable when we turn to God in praise. He'll strengthen us. He'll give us that hope. Our God is faithful and our hope is secure in Jesus Christ. And I want to close with a verse now from 1 Peter that reminds us of our certain hope. And I was thinking about the phrase, certain hope. This world doesn't have certain hope. This world only has percentages of hope. As in, you know, uh, if, if your football team today is playing a, a lesser team, you might have 60 or 70% hope that your team will win today. Or if you've really studied for that test, you know, maybe you have a, a, 
Maybe you've got 90% certainty that you're going to pass that test. But that's all the world really has is percentages of hope. And in Christ, we have something that's way more secure than that. 1 Peter 1.3 says, In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our circumstances in life will fluctuate, I promise you. But Jesus Christ is alive forever. And our hope in him is rock solid. May we keep waiting in hope, trusting God, and worshiping Him while we wait. Would you pray with me? God, we have many reasons to trust in You. And we thank You for the the things that we've walked through today and the other things that You've shown us in in Your Word and other things that You have done in our lives. And we even praise You for the, the certainty of the promises that will be fulfilled that are yet to come. God, I pray that we would be strengthened in hope as we trust in You as we keep meeting with you in your word, as we keep praying to you, would you please fill us with your unfailing love? But God, I pray that we would also worship you. Sometimes that's the last thing on our minds when we're going through difficult circumstances or while we're waiting is is to, to worship you. But God, I pray that we would train ourselves to worship you in every season of life. And as we do so, may you receive glory and may our hearts be continually strengthened in hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.